wherever you're at today. You made it to church. I'm so glad to see you today. Welcome to Substance Summer. I mean, we've had graduations from everything from pre-K to kindergarten to high school to college graduation. It's been a busy season of milestones for everyone here in the church. And can we just welcome all those watching online? Can we welcome downtown, west side, Monterey, Mexico? We love you guys. Today is going to be such an amazing day. But before we dump, jump into God's word, I just want to share my heart with you. You know, Peter and I planted this church 18 years ago. And we moved here from Wisconsin because we wanted church to make sense to normal people. We didn't want it to be boring. We didn't want it to just be a ritual. We actually wanted to create a space where it felt safe to invite your friends and family. And you could come and you could fall back in love with God's word. And where the Bible would actually make sense. And you wouldn't have to do church or Christianity alone, but you could actually find friends. And it's just so fun to be on this journey with all of you and just see what God has done in our church community. I'm telling you, Peter and I have never been more excited about what God's doing in our church. Like we really, really feel like this is just the beginning. Like we're 18 years old as a church. Like we are launching into adulthood, if you will, into young adulthood. And so um, there's three things I want to just quick mention before we jump into our sermon today. And it's this. When we talk about our newcomers this, this tonight, it's dinner tonight, we just don't want to go through the motions of just like, yeah, come, come to a program. We want to get to know you. And we're so serious about it that we're giving up our Sunday nights to say, let's eat a meal. Let's share stories. Let's hear your story. Let's help make it easy. Because I know that sometimes visiting a church can be awkward in a new church. And I don't know. And is it right? And who and what? And they use all these terms and they say all these things. And so we want to make it easy. So I'm just telling you, if you feel new, if you are new, and we have a lot of visitors at every campus, come on out tonight. We all want to meet you and we literally can't wait. So newcomers, that's really important. The second thing is, this is not just a piece of graphic design information. This is literally like, I'm telling you, for some of you, your breakthrough is in here. There is a best friend, there is a relationship, there is a divine conversation, there is a miracle, but it's only going to happen if you open this book. And so like, okay, we have the coolest for young adults and college students. Like if you are, we have so many college students who've come home for the summer. There's hundreds and hundreds of young adults who you can have summer friendships with. I, I'm just telling you, some people blow off summer and they're like, they just kind of do whatever they want all summer and then they re-engage in the fall. I'm telling you, don't do that. Like this is a summer to be intentional and be intentional with your friendships, be intentional with God's word, but you're gonna do it through here. Let me give you one more example. We've got small groups for kids. Today is the kickoff. You gotta register your kids. We've got over 25 small groups for kids because we believe kids need friends and kids need to grow in their faith and it's gonna happen through small groups. We do not think small groups are just an adult thing. I literally want kids from third grade on to literally just have the habit of small groups, but, but this, the, our small groups here at Substance are for kids even littler. And so I'm telling you, there's Lego groups, there's a freedom group for kids, there's how to hear God's voice, there's dance groups, there's sports groups, there's water war groups. So like, you gotta sign your kids up for best summer ever, it's gonna be amazing. And then last but not least, I just wanna encourage you to First Wednesday. How many of you, just give me a show of hands, have never been to a Substance First Wednesday? Let me see. Okay, there's hands in this house. Okay, and I know at other campuses, there's tons of you who've never been to a First Wednesday. First Wednesdays, again, it's lingo. I'm like, what is it? It is a time we come together and we worship, we hear the word, it's extended. Like meaning we go long, we wait on the Holy Spirit, we hear from the Lord. And I'm telling you, every time we do it, we see radical healings. 
radical miracles. People healed of cancer, people healed of migraines, people healed of ADHD, people healed of eye problems, of hip problems. Like we see it. And so I'm just telling you where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so I'm telling you, when people are like, where's revival? Uh, you gotta give space for the Holy Spirit. So these first Wednesdays are where we give space for the Holy Spirit to invade our lives and to bring healing into our lives. And so I'm telling you, last first Wednesday in May, Pastor Peter shared a lot of vision. If you missed it, I'm telling you, go back. It was ridiculous as he started unpacking the 2030 vision. And Peter has been working so hard on the 2030 vision for us here at Substance of just unpacking all the goals of what does that mean for 2028? What does that mean for 2026? What does that mean for 2024? And so we've got exciting vision that we really believe God wants to do in us and through us as a church community. But I'm telling you, jump into it with us because I'm going there no matter what. But I'd hate for me and my family to be the only ones blessed. Like I'm telling you, we are blessed because we put God's kingdom first. And so I just want to invite you all, jump in with us this summer. Let's be on mission. Let's be connected in relationships together. And let's get ready to hear from God. Are you ready? Okay, so would you do me a favor? We today get to hear from Jason Laird. He's a regular here at Substance. He's from Nashville, Tennessee, an amazing pastor, an amazing preacher, and the message he has is ridiculous. So would you stand to your feet, give a warm substance welcome to Jason Laird. Come on, I want you to give Jesus your best praise. Let's give Jesus our best praise. Come on. You can do better than that. Come on, this is... The rowdy service. I love it. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Uh, look at the person standing next to you really quick. Just tell them, say, I'm so glad you made it to church. So glad you made it. Awesome. Um, before you're seated, could we do this? Could we take a moment uh, just to honor your pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn? I uh, love them so much. Uh, they've become such dear friends uh, to, to our family and have been so kind and so generous and uh, man, I love Carolyn's passion. I'm like, whatever she, whatever she took this morning, like drink, uh, hopefully you didn't take anything, but if whatever coffee you drink, I need some of that. I didn't really sleep last night, but I love their passion and their, their passion for the people of God, their passion for the presence of God, their passion for the church, building the kingdom of God. I love it. They have, they have so much vision and it's so inspiring to get to be a part of it. And I don't feel like I'm a guest. Like they said, I really don't. I don't feel like I'm a guest. I feel like I'm a part of the vision here and a part of the family here. And I'm so thankful to get to be a part of that. Last night, we stayed up over at their house till about midnight, uh, just talking about life and marriage and family and church. Pastor Peter had me rolling laughing. He told me about a story of one time when he preached and someone died while he was preaching uh, for 15 minutes. They, it literally, not here, but another church, they, they were dead. And I was like, Man, I hope that doesn't happen to me uh, tomorrow. I was like, dear Lord. Uh, but the person was resurrected in Jesus' name. It was great. Uh, they made it. But, uh, but we just laughed all night and just had such a good time. And uh, this church and the leadership of this church just brings me so much joy, so much encouragement. Nate and Jess always texting me, encouraging me, our family with prophetic words. And just, I just gotta say it, like I mean it. This is not a canned thing I travel and say. Uh, here and all of our campuses. I love this church and um, I feel like I'm your crazy uncle and this is like family reunion, okay? So anyway, come on, why don't you clap your hands for your pastors really quick. We love you guys so much. And you can be seated.
And we're going to jump into the word. My son is traveling with me, Liam, uh, Liam Josiah. He's 13. He'll be 14 later this year. And he was in the last service, but now he's, he backslid to the back eating donuts, I think. But uh, we're going to pray for him. Wow, tough crowd. You guys didn't laugh so much at that. Okay. <laughs> You guys are like, gosh, I can't believe he said that about his son. But anyway, he's amazing. If you're in the last service, you would have seen that I affirmed him in front of everybody. He loves Jesus. He's a little man of God. I'm so proud of him. And uh, he's an athlete. And uh, just so so excited to get to travel with him. I don't get to do that often because of school and stuff like that. But during the summer, I try to do some ministry trips while I take my kids with me. And so my wife and I, we've been married now. If I haven't met you yet, we, my wife Jennifer and I, we've been married now for eight. We just made 18 years and uh, been dating for almost 20, no, 26 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're single and you're here, you've been scoping and hoping, like, uh, you never know. Look what the Lord could do, you know. He could bless you. Uh, met my girlfriend or met my wife at, uh, in a Christian school uh, 26, 27 years ago. And so God, God has really blessed me. And we have three beautiful kids Liam, who's 13, uh, we have Nixon, who is 10, and then we have our little girl, Novi, Novi Sophia. She just made four years old, and, uh, you know, I would, I would do anything for her. We, we were supposed to fly out today right after this service, and uh, my wife told me that my son wanted to go to the Mall of America and do a little shopping, you know, just, he's grown out of his clothes. He's, the kids grow so fast, you know. If you have kids, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so I said yes, but really, here's why I really said yes. He, he's in the back, so he can't hear this. But I really said yes because Novi, the, my four-year-old, my little girl, was like, Dada. She calls me Dada. She goes, Dada, are you going to bring me something back? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm changing my flight. So he thinks we're going for him. We're really going for her. Any dads, uh, you got a little girl, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And so I would do anything for her. I would buy her anything. But um, if you have your Bibles, once you grab that real quick, if you don't, it's okay. We're going to put some scriptures up on the screen. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures today. Um, Substance, we love the Word of God. Amen. Um, we don't need to hear just another person's opinion. We got enough of that in our world, in our culture. Um, we need to hear from God's word. And my prayer is today as we unpack many, many scriptures and the truths and the precepts of God's word is that uh, he'll speak to you. Uh, last service, we had a really powerful service, so I'm just believing for the same. Um, I was praying this week about what to talk about. And um, I was actually in, in Wyoming, Monday through Friday, listen to this, off the grid, no cell phone service, no Wi-Fi, no Netflix. There was nothing, just me and God, and uh, we're praying, I'm, or I'm praying, and I'm like, what do you want me to speak on? And uh, it's amazing what happens when you, when you break away and you, you digitally detox uh, when you break away to hear from God. I had a mentor who told me one time, he said, Jason, a busy man or woman cannot hear from God. And so I just said, I need to break away. So I broke away. I rode a horse too. Do I look like somebody that rides a horse? <laughs> I rode a horse. I conquered a fear. I was so anxious about it. I was like, oh Lord Jesus. I was like praying in the spirit. And I'm like, do dangerous things safely. Do dangerous things safely. I just kept telling myself that. Rode a horse. But as I was praying uh, on Thursday, I just said, God, what do you want me to speak on? I felt like he said, I want you to talk about freedom. I want you to talk about freedom. Finding freedom. How to find freedom. See, freedom is a big deal to God. Freedom is a really big deal to God, and because it's a big deal to God, it's a big deal to us as a church, at Substance Church. As a matter of fact, our vision, if you haven't seen it, it's on videos every Sunday, we talk about it a lot, is our vision is this, we, just want, we hope every single one of us, 
at every location, at every campus, that all of us, that we would know God, like really more than just hear, like know him, more than religion, know him, but intimately we would have a personal relationship with God through the person Jesus Christ, that we would know God, but also that we would find freedom, that we would, we would know true freedom, and not just freedom from something, but freedom for something, that God truly has a plan and a purpose for our life, and that we'd be freed up and healed from the pain of our past and our issues and our brokenness and even things from our family of origin, that we could be free to fully be and become all that God has called us to become, so that we can then what? Discover our purpose, our God-given purpose, and that we'd make a difference. So if you think about that, there's four parts to the vision that we have as a church. And, and one-fourth, a quarter of our vision is actually to help people find what? Find freedom. It's a really big deal to God, therefore it's a really big deal to us. When I think about that, I was, I was processing this week the last 23 years of my life. And the last 23 years of my life, God has done a lot of phenomenal things to help me find a, a peace and a wholeness in my interior life a healing and a freedom over, over the years. But, but I thought about even before I came to faith in Jesus, my life, it was so broken. I've told some of you this before, but I grew up as a preacher's kid. You know, people always said preacher's kids are the worst, and I just wanted to prove them right. So <laughs> I got to work at that. And my mom would always say, Jason, he's just developing his testimony. That's what she would say. <laughs> some of you, you need to use that. Your kids right now, they're prodigals. They're just developing their testimony. You keep praying, mama. They're gonna come home. And... For years, though, even though my father was a pastor, my mom was a, a pastor, and they were missionaries, our life began to, our family began to unravel because my, my father had some, he had some things that he never dealt with as a young man. And because he never dealt with them and he suppressed them, the pace and the pressure of ministry and life and marriage and kids and finances and all that began to just, just add pressure to him and all the things he never dealt with came to the surface and began to deal with him. And his, his life began to fall apart. My, our family began to fall apart. And, and I just was such a broken young man. I just began to anesthetize the pain through substance abuse, through addiction, and through inappropriate relationships. And I became very angry and dealt with a lot of timidity and insecurity and, and inferiority. And all these things began to become a part of my life, even to the point of suicidal ideation. And I, and I was just like, I don't want this. I'm so tired of this. And it was actually the message of freedom that attracted me to actually get into a relationship with Jesus. It was actually when someone, I started hearing someone say, man, if you know God, you can actually find freedom in that place. You've been dealing with addiction, you, you come to God. God can help break the bond, bondage of, of slavery to addiction. He can break it off your life. And I would begin to hear this message and I thought, I need Jesus. It was freedom that actually brought me to Jesus. And so I gave my life to Jesus at 18 years old. And, and here's what was was so interesting is that I, I prayed the prayer, I got baptized, got the t-shirt, the whole thing, filled out the connection card, did everything, all the stuff you do, but for some reason I was still struggling with the same stuff. It was a cycle and I was still dealing with the same addictions and the same thought patterns and the same, same insecurities and, and I began to just wonder like, did my prayer not work? Like, did it not stick? Do I need to pray it again? In the first two years of following Jesus, do you know that I would come down to the altar every Sunday for salvation when they do an appeal to come to receive salvation to the point where one pastor came up to me, put his arm around me and he said, buddy, I think you're good. You're good, okay? And you go, this, is, this is number 47 in a row, okay? I think you're saved. I mean, I was like recommitting my recommitment. Like I was like, I, I, I just, because I, I could not reconcile 
that now the scripture says I'm a new creation in Christ and yet I'm still living in this way that looks like my old life. And I could not close that gap between the me I wanted to be and the me I used to be. And there was a huge chasm there. And I thought, will I ever find freedom from these things? Was, was I over-promised and under-delivered with the gospel? And I desperately wanted to find freedom. Let me ask you this question. Is there any area of your life where you feel like if this one thing wasn't there anymore, my life would be better. Is there any area of your life? Because listen, we all have something. We all have something. It could be addiction. It could be anger. It could be wrestling through that timidity or insecurity. It could be the way you speak to your spouse, the way you react to your kids. It could be the things that you're looking at and beholding on the computer or your phone. There's so many things and we all have something. There's some level of freedom that every one of us need. One of the saddest things I was telling Pastor Carolyn just a minute ago is that I was on this trip and, and we were talking about this particular topic and there was a, a person that was there and he was a pastor and he said, I, I don't have anything in my life. There's, there's not one thing. And I thought, brother, you must have a lot of skeletons in your closet. You were in denial, my brother. We all have something and there's more freedom that all of us can experience. We will all be on this journey called sanctification and transformation to the day we close our eyes on this earth and we behold Jesus, the Lamb of God that was slain for your sin and my sin. We, we are on a journey. We all have issues. Come and look at the person sitting next to you and say, I have issues. I have issues. Say it. Look at the other person. Tell them, say, my issues have issues. Some of y'all got free right there. Warren Buffett once said this. He said, chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. Chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. See, you and I, as, as humans, we, we, we have been hardwired to desire freedom. There, there's something that God has wired in us through the fabric of creation that makes us desire and want to live a free life. He's put it in us. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. It's part of the human experience. That's why even people that don't know God, that aren't in a relationship with him, they still have things in their life, no matter how far they're away from God, where there are moments where they, they think, if I could just get this out of my life, my life could be better. We all desire it. It's part of the human experience. Um, we were made for it. And that's why we as a culture, we celebrate monumental events like the fall of the Berlin Wall the global civil rights movement, why? Because we know this as humans, we know that freedom is necessary for a life to be lived to its fullest. We know this. We fight for the freedom of those that are held in captivity. We advocate for those silenced by the bonds of slavery and scripture makes it clear that God is no different. God cares deeply about the freedom of his children. When you look at the scriptures, you'll see that freedom is one of the major motifs of scripture Liberty and freedom is one of the most pervasive themes in the biblical narrative. It's, it's pages over and over and over again. It's about freedom and liberty, and it's, it's, it's all throughout it. It's the story of God delivering his, his children. Think about this. God freed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, set them free. He shut the mouths of lions and freed Daniel from the lion's den. And we see God deliver the entire nation of Israel from slavery under the Egyptians. Listen, on and on and on and on, God sets the captive free. 
This is why in Luke chapter four, Jesus, when he opens the scrolls, he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news, to heal the brokenhearted and to do what? To set the captive free. The, the anointing of Jesus in the earth was to set captives free. Listen, you and I, we are the church. We're the body of Christ. We're the living manifestation of Jesus Christ in the earth today, and there should be an anointing on us to help people find freedom. But the truth is, many Christians are not walking in freedom, and so they can't help other people find freedom. Why? Because free people help free people. And you can teach what you know, but you'll always impart who you are. And so if we're not walking in freedom, it'll be very, very challenging to help people find and discover freedom. We have to pursue it. It's part of what God has called us to be and do as a church. And I love what the Apostle Paul said to the Galatian church. He said this, look, in Galatians 5. It is absolutely clear, it's absolutely clear that God has called you to what? To a free life. If you can hear my voice today at every one of our campuses, listen to me. God has called you. He's called you to live in freedom. Whatever it is you're dealing with or struggling with or walking through, whatever you've been carrying, I don't care if it's for one month or it's for 15 years, God is calling you today. He says, come, I want to help, help you find freedom. It's part of his calling on your life. It's the inheritance for the children of God that we would walk in freedom and so I've committed my life as a pastor and as a servant to help people in the pursuit of freedom. But I remember 23 years ago or 20, maybe 20 years ago, I was a youth pastor and, and I was preaching this sermon and as, at this youth ministry and, and it was not a good sermon, it was a bad sermon. When, when I go back and I look at my sermons and I read my notes, I'm like, dear Lord, if anyone that sat under my tutelage for those years makes it into the kingdom, it would be a miracle because it was bad. It was bad. Sometimes I meet, meet these like grown adults and they're like, I'm married and I have kids now. I'm in the ministry. You were my youth pastor. I'm like, God, your grace has covered a multitude of my stupidity. Like, thank God. But I was preaching this message one particular night and, and there was one of our youth leaders. He was such a precious young man. Um, he was sitting on like the first, second, third row, somewhere in the front. And, and so it was obvious, I could see his face as I'm preaching. He just looks so discouraged, and so dejected. And I thought, man, is my sermon this bad? You know, he looks, it looks bad, like he's ate a lemon. And so I went right to him after service, like, hey, buddy, are you okay? Now, here's the thing, you gotta hear this. Um, have you ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Okay, yeah, big fans over here, big fans. Napoleon Dynamite, if you haven't seen it, you need to watch the movie. But there was this guy in there, his name was Kip. If you remember Kip. And I love Kip. He's maybe my favorite actor in the whole thing, favorite character. Well, this youth leader, he sounded, if you closed your eyes, he sounded just like Kip. <laughs> he, was so, he was so awesome. I love this kid. And we'll call him Kip just for the story so we can have a name to personify. So, uh, and he sounded just like, like him. As I, said, I, said, I said, Kip, I said, hey, man, I noticed you look discouraged. What's going on? And he said, Pastor Jason, I really have something serious I need to talk to you about. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, you got to watch it. You'll never forget this sermon. Um, Pastor Jason, I have something really serious I want to talk to you about. So I said, okay, man, what's going on? And what's going on? He said, uh, I was so proud of him. He got so vulnerable. Everyone's left now, and it's just me, him, and a couple leaders. And he said, uh, I have been struggling here recently looking at inappropriate things. And uh, it's become a stronghold. He's like, I can't, I don't want to, 
but I can't stop. And I just, and he had tears streaming down his face. He was like, I hate this. It makes me, it makes me hate myself. He said, I didn't even want to come to church. He said, I kept my hands in my pockets the whole time. Like, I didn't even want to raise my hands. I just felt so much shame. My heart broke for him. But I'm this young man that, at the time, I didn't really know how to help someone find freedom. And so my best attempt was, I just, <laughs> they didn't teach you this in seminary. I just, I just said it. I don't know why. I said, I said, well, where are you looking at these inappropriate things? And he said, well, in, in, in my bedroom at my mom's house. And I said, okay. I said, take your door off the hinges and put your door in your backyard. And uh, he looked at me and said, excuse me, Pastor Jason, what did you say? <laughs> I said, yeah, man, desperate times call for desperate measures. You know? He said, okay. So he takes his door off hinges. And for the next few weeks, man, he just, I would be in the middle of preaching. I'd see him just look at me like, like, <laughs> like it's working, it's working. And, uh, you know, but over, over the course of months, I began to see him move from the third row to the fourth to the eighth hands in his pockets farther and farther and I knew that he fell back in the same pattern so I went and talked to him and man it was just my heart broke for him and he said I've fallen back into this pattern and uh, what do I do and so I said uh, well where are, you, where are you looking at this stuff and he said now in my bathroom and I said okay I want you to take your door off the hinges <laughs> put it in your backyard he literally said Jeez, Pastor Jason, sooner or later I won't have any doors on my house. <laughs> but I thought back to that as a young pastor, just wanting to help someone find freedom. I didn't know how. And you know what, you know what my best attempt to help this young man find freedom was? I preached him my best behavior modification sermon. Try harder. That's what I was saying. Just try harder. Try harder. You can do this. Come on, man. Get it together. Try harder. Do this. Just do this and try harder. And it never worked. He continued in that cycle for a long time, and it breaks my heart that at the time I didn't know how to help him find freedom. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there's no effort that we put forth towards working in cooperation with the Spirit of God to, to work towards finding freedom. There, there is a work that's okay. I love what Dallas Willard said. He, he said this beautiful statement, grace isn't opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. What is he saying? He's like, grace... It's not opposed to you actually working. You just can't earn. I, we can't earn our freedom. We can't earn acceptance from God. We can't earn our salvation. But the grace of God saves us, and, and through his grace, he accepts us, and he approves of us. And now we don't take that grace like a grace card to cover over sloppy living. But the grace of God, I think it's in Titus, it teaches us that it actually empowers us to live a holy life. It's his grace that does it. And so, yes, there is a work when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But listen, make no mistake about it. My message to you today, we will not conclude with me saying, try harder, because that doesn't work. So what does work? Well, I want to talk to you about that. But let me give you this little thesis statement. We'll get to this, and I'll try to sum it up with the points that I have for you. But here's, here's a statement. In Christ, your freedom is received. That means it's grace appropriated by faith. In Christ, your freedom is received and it can be fully realized when you submit to the process. You gotta submit to the process. So I wanna talk to you for the remainder of our time about these three things. The price of freedom, the paradox of freedom, and the process of freedom. The price of freedom, in other words, your freedom and my freedom is free, but it costs someone dearly. 
Look at what 1 Timothy chapter 2 says. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Only one man, only one reconciler, only one mediator. Listen to me. Buddha said, follow me, I'll show you the way. Krishna said, follow me, I'll show you the way. Listen, Muhammad said, follow me, I'll show you the way. But Jesus said, follow me, I am the way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We have one Savior, one mediator, one reconciler, the person Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? It's the proclamation of the person and the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection so that we can find freedom and forgiveness of our sins and be reconciled to the Father. No longer slaves, but sons and daughters of the Most High God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Aren't you thankful for the person and the work of Jesus? It is not our works. It is not our merit. It is not our effort or we'd be able to boast. It is only by the grace of Jesus that we can come into relationship with him. But he purchased our freedom, it says. He gave, verse six, he gave his life to purchase our freedom for everyone. See, he didn't just want to save you. He wanted to free you. He didn't just want you to be at peace with God. Watch, he wanted you to be at peace with yourself. One of the worst things is it's so tormenting when there's something that is controlling us, a stronghold, a grip of sin on our life, and we want so badly to live a life that honors God, but we struggle and we're tormented and it robs us of our peace and joy. And then we find ourselves not even wanting to go to church and to worship or to raise our hands because we feel so shamed and so guilty and so condemned. But for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. He's purchased our freedom. Colossians chapter one, Paul goes on and he says in verse 13, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Galatians chapter four, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Have you ever received a gift from someone and it completely blew you away. Someone bought you something, purchased something for you, and they just gave it to you, and you could not believe it. It, was, it made you in awe and wonder, like, how could they ever do this? How could they ever be so gracious and generous? See, my father, he walked away for our fam- from our family for a long period of time, and I was, as I told you, I was a very broken young man, but then I came to faith in Christ, and there was, there was a, my best friend's dad, Robert Prevost, he saw that there was, an, there was a lot of father wounds in me, and so he he chose to step in and to really be a father for me in a time when I needed it the most in my formative years. He was a, he was a rather wealthy man, and so he saw that my mom and our, uh, my siblings, we were all struggling just to survive. And my mom got out of this battered women's shelter, and Mr. Robert came in and said, hey, I'm gonna help set you guys up with a, with a car, and I'm gonna make sure you're taken care of and all that stuff until you can get on your feet. And he was so kind, so generous. I just sense it. I didn't say this in the last service, but there's some of you in here, God has blessed you so much. You have so many resources. How may he use you to bring healing to some wounded sons and daughters? He's blessed you tremendously. Don't, he did not bless you to just give something to you. He wants to give through you to be a blessing into someone's life. That was for free. You guys just received that one right there, okay? Okay. Mr. Robert, I remember he said, son, I want to take you to play golf. He would do like stuff that a father and son would do. Pick me up and we were driving on the road. He said, I got to make one stop. We pull into this car dealership and he goes, give me one minute, just wait right here. And he comes driving around the corner 
This is the year 2000. He comes driving around the corner in a 1998 red Mitsubishi Eclipse with a little sunroof, little moonroof. What's the difference between a sun and a moonroof? I don't know. I think it's the same thing. I can see either one of them out of it. I don't know. <laughs> so dumb. Anyway, he takes out these keys and he just puts them out like this. He says, son, he says, I, I, I wanted to bless you with this. I got you this car. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud that you're following Jesus. And I was like, I can't afford that. He says, you don't have to afford it. It's free. Your father paid for it. And I was like, I, 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 he said, I just want you to receive what I've, what I've purchased for you. And I was like, but I don't even have enough money to pay for insurance. I'm that broke. He was like, as long as you stay in school, I'll pay for your insurance too. May I tell you that next year, I was driving around. You should have seen me. It, you know, it, it was like 2000, so I'm driving around with like Biggie and Tupac. Try, still ain't fully saved yet, I'm sure, but I'm like, pick up my girlfriend, put a little Usher on, some boys to men, boy. Let's go. Some of y'all got free right there. Galatians 3 says, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. All of us, guys. We're like, no, I'm not. Listen, y'all are sinners. I just make a lot of mistakes. No, the Bible doesn't say you're a mistaker. It says you're a sinner. No, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person that occasionally does bad. No, you're not. You're a bad person that occasionally does good. That's all of us. It's all of us. So the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. We're prisoners. We're slaves. We're in bondage to sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. But here's the tension. We pray the prayer. We commit our life. We begin the journey. We start following him. And it says we're now free, but why are we still dealing with things that don't look like we're free? I thought I was free. I thought I'm a new creation. Why am I still struggling through this stuff? And it's this tension that we live in. And this is what the freedom that Jesus affords us is. It's really these three main things, if I could sum it up. When Jesus went to the cross and you put your faith and trust in him, here's what happened. He took upon him our wrath, the wrath that we deserve as sinners. Jesus absorbed all of that. It's the penalty, the penalty of sin. Romans 3, for we all have sinned and we fall short of the glorious standard of God. And then it says, therefore, the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is what? It's death, it's wrath, it's the wrath of God. But the scriptures teach us that he who knew no sin, Jesus, he became sin so that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. It's the great exchange. He takes on our sin and he imputes to us his righteousness. So now we're no longer sinners. We're sons and daughters that are righteous, that is in right standing with God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? And so he frees us from the penalty. If you're a son or a daughter of God, you'll never receive the wage or the penalty of death for your sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him. He paid it all. The penalty, you're free from the penalty. Isn't that good news? Yeah. You're free. But then there's the power of sin. What about that? Because sin is powerful. That temptation's powerful, isn't it? That, that, that struggle, it's powerful, it's powerful. But Romans 8 says this, for those that are in Christ Jesus. It says, for those that are in Christ Jesus, listen, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature is urging you to do, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can put to death the flesh. So we have been freed from the penalty of sin and even the power of sin because you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You have authority, you have dominion, you have power, and you don't have to do what your sinful nature is urging you to do. You've been freed from the power of sin. But then there's this one, there's the presence of sin. Now this is where it's hard. 
is we live in a world where there's sin all around us. We have the presence of sin all around us. And we, we have been free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but we still see the presence of sin in our life. And we want so badly to get that out of our life. But the truth is, it's a journey until the day you close your eyes on this earth and you stare in the face of Jesus. In that moment, when you behold the glory of God, you behold perfection, that, that which you have seen as a silhouette and a glass darkly, as a, just a reflection, you, you will start to see him for who he is and you will fall and worship him and sin will be ridden from your presence. There will be no presence of sin anymore. But right now, we live on earth and it's like there's a presence of sin all around me. And so God, how do I get it out of my life? And that's that process of sanctification. And it's a struggle because it's there and it's real. And that leads us to the paradox. This is the paradox of freedom. Is that I'm free, I'm a new creation, I have a new identity, but yet I still do the things of my old identity, my old patterns, my old behaviors. And we live in this tension trying to figure out how do I get away from the me I used to be and the me I want to be. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this brilliantly. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrased this. Romans chapter 7, he says, listen to this. This is a lot of scripture, but just listen. Is this, have you ever felt like this? I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. Like he's humbling himself saying, I can't do this in my own strength. I don't have the willpower to, to fix myself. I need help. I need help. He goes on and he says, verse number, where's it at? Sorry. For if I know the law, but it still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need Help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. You ever felt that before? I decide on Sunday and on Monday. I'm that small group and I make a decision and a commitment to my accountability partners, but yet Thursday comes. He says that. He says it happens, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, Sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. Like I wanna do what God wants me to do, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. And so there's these parts of me covertly rebel and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Like the answer, thank God, is Jesus Christ. He can and he does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. He says, I wanna do. This is the Apostle Paul. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, like super apostle. He, he, he is a man of God and he says, but even I, I wanna do what's right, but I oftentimes do what's wrong and the things I want to do I don't do the things I want to don't want to do I do and he was like and I live in this paradox and it's such a struggle but he says you know what here's what I've discovered when I when I do those things that's not really me that's the old me 
he, here's what he's doing. He's setting his new identity apart from his old identity, and he's personifying sin, saying, that is sin that is lurking within me. That is my old nature, but I have a new nature. I am new in Christ Jesus, and I have to choose to identify with this and separate the two. This is what he is doing, and I love that. Because when I got saved, I still struggled for a while with sin, as I said. For years, I struggled with it. You know, here's the reality. We, we were talking about this last service. There's something called a sin nature. Romans 5 talks about it. There's a sin nature that all of us have. That when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. It's not fair, but it's true. And we all became sinners. And with that, a, a nature was imputed to all of us. There's a proclivity and a bent now. It doesn't matter where, where you grew up or your skin color. We all have a bent towards sin. Have you ever noticed no one had to teach your kids how to lie or steal? They just, they figured it out. They just figured it out. Some of you are like, no, my husband taught them that. <laughs> Don't point fingers. But it's the sin nature. It's in all of us. It's our sin nature. And then that nature causes these desires for us to desire and bend towards sin. So there's the sin nature, but then there's something called the sin nurture. It's, it's nature and nurture. Nurture is this. It's over time we begin to nurture those behaviors and those attitudes and those thoughts. And the more we nurture it and feed it, the greater it grows. And while, while, while Jesus, he broke the curse at the cross, and we no, longer, we no longer are bound by that nature, but we have a new nature, there's these things that are called, there's stuff that we've nurtured over time, maybe from your family of origin or maybe just from years of practicing certain sins and behavior, that what you've nurtured has become so strong in your life, it's now a strong hold. It has a strong hold on you. Does that make sense? And that's why in Psalms 51, it says this. Psalms 51.5, David said, I was, watch this, born in sin, and shaped in iniquity. Let me break this down for you. Sin is simply missing the glorious standard of God, perfection. That's what sin is. It's missing the target. Iniquity is willfully enjoying the pleasure of sin. It's, it's continual, continually choosing willfully to keep pursuing that sin, and that's iniquity. And what's interesting is that David says, I was born in sin. I was born in that. No choice of mine. But, but, but then I was shaped or I was, I was influenced and formed in iniquity, me constantly choosing the sin. So I was born in it, but I was also shaped by it. I was born in America, which makes me an American, but I was shaped in the South, which makes me a cowboy. Okay. <laughs> For me to change my identity, I can't just change my identity. I need a greater authority. The government has to change my nationality, right? It's a process. I can't, I can't just be like, I'm French. Like, it doesn't work like that. I would want to be Italian, though, not French. <laughs> I can't do it, but, but something, someone greater has to change my identity. We, you and I, we can't change our sin nature. Someone greater, God has to do that. But nurture can be changed. We have the authority there to do it. In the same way that I can't change the fact that I'm American, but I can change the fact if I sound like I'm from the South or I act like I'm from the South and I eat a lot of fried food. I mean, just being serious, right? Like I can change, those are behaviors. I, can, I have authority to change those things. And you and I, same thing, is that God, he's done his part. Now we can do our part and work with him to align what, who we are now and who we're becoming with who he says we are, which takes us stop nurturing sin and nurture the spirit, nurture spiritual things in our life. And the more we do that, it breaks the cycle. Listen, at the cross, the curse was broken so that you and I can break the cycle, so that we can break the patterns, which brings me to, the process of freedom. Well, then how? How do we do it? I'm gonna get really practical right here in our remaining time. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this. For the Lord is the spirit, 
And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, this is mind-blowing. For the Lord is the spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me ask you this. If you're a follower of Jesus, where is the spirit? And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Which tells us something. Someone needs to hear this. Freedom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. You keep thinking, if I can get this out of my life, I'm free. No, you're free. It's your identity. Because the Spirit of God is in you. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's where freedom is. You, you have freedom. Now what we do to, to realize it fully is we create more space and capacity and room for the Spirit's activity in our life. We make space for it through prayer and through worship and fasting and small groups. We make space. God, I want you to move. Holy Spirit, come. Come and have your way. Stop feeding the flesh. Stop nurturing the flesh. Stop watching that. Stop going there. Stop listening to that. And nurture the Spirit. Create space and let his power begin to fill your life. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And then he goes on and says, and so all of us have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory or the nature, the character of the Lord. What is it saying? All that have had the veil removed, you can see now. Your eyes have been opened. You're saved. You've been filled with the Spirit of God. You're a follower of Jesus. Your eyes have been opened, and now you see the glory of the Lord. You see his nature. You see his character. Now you can reflect that. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, watch this, makes us, we don't make ourselves. The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed, as we are changed into his glorious image. You know what it's saying? In other words, if it's more and more, if it's we're, as we're changed, you know what it's saying? It's a process. Freedom is a process. Freedom is not an event. It is a process. It is a process of transformation going from glory to glory to glory. And notice who does it. The spirit works in and through you and you cooperate with the spirit. And he brings you from glory to glory to glory. One step of freedom into another step of freedom, another step of revelation, another breakthrough, another breakthrough. As we work with him and we're in step with him, he begins to transform and change our lives. But it is a process. My proposition to you is this, is that change can happen overnight. But in my experience... It happens over time. And you have people so disillusioned because they come to an altar and they thought, I thought it was going to just snap off my life just like that. And sometimes that happens. The man at Gadara in the, in the Decapolis, Jesus set him free in a moment. But he was Jesus and I am not. And oftentimes we have church services and gatherings and we come down and we want a prayer moment and we want something to be fixed overnight. But it was something that probably got shaped over time. And what we need more than just a moment, we need something called discipleship to Jesus. You see, here's what, here's what discipleship is. Apprenticeship to Jesus is come and be with Jesus, let him make you like him, and then just go do the things that he did. That's it. But that's a process. That is a process. The, the late, great Jack Hayford, Dr. Jack Hayford from Foursquare, he said this statement. It's a powerful statement. You've got to really listen to absorb this. He said, matter of fact, put it on the screen because I, I probably won't quote it properly. He says, you can't, oh, you don't have it. Listen to this. You can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. Some of you got that. Let me just rewind. This is so good. You can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. Most altar calls in Pentecostal churches or charismatic churches, we have people that have cycles of brokenness and we're trying to cast out something that needs to be discipled. 
That's why counseling, I love counseling. Counseling is so good. They're like, yeah, Jason, you are crazy, and we're going to help you, okay? The reason you think like that, Jason, is because of your family of origin, and, let's, and we're going to give you tools to, oh, that's how it works. And that's part of the freedom process. You can't, you can't disciple a demon. You can't cast out the flesh. It's a process. Let me tell you what the process is. They're going to put this up on the screen. I call it the triad of transformation. This is really practical. You need three things at minimum. You need truth, you need community, you need the Holy Spirit. And let me show you how this works. Truth. If you want to be transformed, if you want to be healed, you want to be made whole, shalom. If you want the peace of God, heart, body, soul, mind, you want that, the first thing you got to have is truth. you got to get truth in the room. That's why John 8 says it. I love this. It says, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, Jesus says, you prove that you are my true followers. He says, when you embrace my truth, when you, let me say it like this, when you live out my truth, that's when I know you're a real follower. We live in a generation in a culture of Christendom, Christendom where people can say they're followers of Jesus and not actually follow Jesus. We want, watch this, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone wants the life of Jesus. Few people want to embrace the truth of Jesus, and no one wants to practice the way of Jesus. He says, but when you embrace my truth, I know you're the real deal. You're my follower. For if you embrace truth, it will release freedom into your lives. That's a different translation. You're probably familiar with, with I think Pastor Kellen quoted earlier, um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You gotta get truth in the room. Why? Because a lot of times what we've nurtured is we've nurtured lies from the enemy. You experienced trauma, you experienced a wound, and guess what? Satan was right there and he loves to whisper in a wound. He loves to whisper into a wound and to get you to believe that lie. And that's where a stronghold is formed and you wonder why you can't break it because you're still nurturing the lie. You gotta get truth in the room. Where do you get truth from? In the word of God, that's a great starting spot. But some of you need to carve some people out of your life that just tell you what you wanna hear. Hello. And you need to get some people in your life that will have radical candor and will speak the truth in love. Not to call you out, but to call you up and to help you walk in freedom. You got to get truth in the room. I don't, I hear people all the time say my truth. I don't have my truth. I have my experience. God's word is truth. And I don't need to project my experience on God's word. I need to let God's word penetrate my experience to bring true healing into my life. Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know how you renew your mind? The word of God. My, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. My Bible reading from 18 to 25 it wasn't just devotions, it was deliverance. Me reading the word of God and letting the word of God read me was like, oh, I didn't see that, I didn't know that, but God's truth illuminated my heart and showed me the areas of my life that he wanted, now I wanna deal with this, now I wanna work in here, now I wanna do this, get truth in the room. You gotta have truth, you gotta embrace truth. But truth isn't enough. You know what you need? You need community. You need an ecosystem of life-giving relationships around you that can help you see the truth because sometimes we're so subjective we can't see the truth. Sometimes we're just led by our feelings and our feelings are great followers, but they're terrible leaders. We need a, a community of life-giving people around us to speak truth into our life, even truth that hurts at times. Friends that, that like a surgeon will cut you only to heal you. Truth in the room, community, James 5. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. He says, take off the mask to each other. Get vulnerable with trusted people. Why? 
so you can pray for each other, so that you can live together whole and healed. You can live in freedom. What a picture of a gospel-centered community that is walking in freedom. We have nothing to prove, we have nothing to lose, and we have nothing to hide. We're all broken people in need of the grace of God and the truth and the love of a community that can help us, that can see us as we are, but help us see who we could become. And that community, I think, is like small groups. This is why small groups were a big deal here. This is my shameless plug. Like, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Like, it's that simple. Get in a small group. I'm in a small group. You gotta be in a small group. Get in a small group. Why? So you can, over time, build relationship and trust and then take off the mask. And it will start the freedom process. I was bound by addiction. I got into a small group when I was 18. It took me two years to trust those young men. Finally, I took off the mask and said, here's what I'm dealing with. They got around me and laid hands on me and prayed for me. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit that night and it began the freedom process. I got into counseling and within six months, God broke that stuff off of my life. Small groups is not just an institutional thing that we came up with. It's just a delivery system to help you become who God has called you to become. What, what if just stepping out in courage and showing up at a small group is actually the key that will unlock a door that will get you to a new space of freedom? Step out, have courage, embrace it. We moved to Dallas one time. My wife, she's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I'm becoming an introvert, but she's, I don't even know if that's possible, but that's what's happening in my life. But my wife, she's definitely an introvert. And her first week in Dallas, Texas at Gateway Church, she got up one morning before I was going to work. She's getting dressed. I was like, where are you going? You got a job? Where are you, where are you going? She's like, nope, I'm going to a small group. I was like, okay, you're going to a small group. She was like, yep. She was like, if I'm going to become all God's called me to become, I need to be in community. You need to get in community. I love this. Eugene Peterson said, he wrote the, uh, the message, translate or uh, paraphrase. He said, I didn't come to this conviction easily. I didn't come to this conviction easily, but there's no getting around it. There can be no maturity in spiritual life. There can be no maturity in spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from immersion and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. You'll never become who God's called you to become just coming to church on a Sunday. Get in community. Find a life-giving community. The third one is this, the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget the work of the Spirit. We need truth. We need to be circled in community, but we need the power of the Spirit. And that's why he says in 2 Corinthians, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, he makes us. He does the work, and we work alongside him. Galatians 5 talks about being in step with the Spirit. And if you'll nurture the Spirit, if you'll stay in step and listen and obedient and embrace the guidance and the leading and the promptings of the Spirit and not try to, fulfill, not try to nurture the flesh and, and, and go this route, he says, they're mutually exclusive. You will not fulfill the works of the flesh if you t- stay in step with the Spirit, if you create space for the Spirit, if you embrace the Spirit's leadings and promptings. He's like, if you do that, you're not gonna do this. It's like this. You can't run on a treadmill at 7.0 eating donuts. They're mutually exclusive. The reason we go back to our sin is because we begin to nurture thoughts and we feed the flesh and the flesh overtakes us and we try to gratify the works of the flesh. Feed the spirit. Last one I would say to you is this, is that freedom, I said it earlier, but freedom is less of an event, it's a process. It's a process. It is a process And in Christ, your freedom is received and it can be fully realized when you submit to the process. Truth, community, 
spirit. Over time, not overnight, transformation happens. We become more like Jesus. I have a small group that I'm a part of in Nashville. It's a ragtag group of guys. It's like when you see when it says David was hiding in a cave and all these, these 600 like just kind of ragtag, rug, rugged guys surrounded him. That became his army. I feel a little bit like that in Nashville. It's a group of about 20 guys. We gather every other Tuesday night and there's no guru. We're all just at the table, equal at the table. And we just, we share God's word. We pray for one another. There's kind of a prophetic kind of edge to it as well where we encourage and build up one another. But the main thing that we cultivate in that space is vulnerability, uh, safety, where people can take off the mask. Well, there's a guy in the group um, about a year ago. He had, he had been going for a year and he was always like, yeah, everything's good, everything's good. Unspoken prayer requests, everything's good, everything's good. You know those people. <clears throat> and we all knew it. Like he just doesn't, he's, he's not at a place where he, he trusts us yet. We don't have the relational equity, but he'll get there. Listen to me, guys. If you lead a small group, be patient with people's journey. Be patient with their journey. Let the Holy Spirit work. And we just let the Holy Spirit work. Finally, this guy opens up and he says, man, he goes, my marriage has been struggling and I've been hiding it from you guys. It is not good. And I've had thoughts of having an affair. He said, but here's where it's all really stemming from. He goes, I've, ha I've battled an addiction to pornography. He's 40. I've battled an addiction to pornography since I was eight years old. And he says, and he's crying. He says, I don't want to lose my marriage. I don't want to lose my kids. I don't want to lose everything. I need help. Do you know what? You know what the guys in my group didn't do? They didn't go, huh, this guy here, dirty, rotten scoundrel. Get out of our group. We're perfect. No. I would have punched them in the face if they did that. Five-fold ministry. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> no, you know what they did? They wept with those who were weeping. We all got around him and we laid our hands on him and we began to pray for him and prophesy over him. I'm telling you, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit was at that small group on the back porch in Nashville. And we began to pray and call out to God. And then when we finished, we said, okay, it's a process. Thank God for the moment, but it's a process. The next step is we want you to have a conversation with your wife in the next seven days. Guys, that was a hard step, but a necessary step. And it was a very hard conversation. It was an awkward conversation, but he tells his wife and through brokenness and tears, she says, what do we need to do? And he said, well, my guy said, they're gonna help us get into counseling. They got into counseling. Been in marriage and counseling for a year. You know what else happened? The guys, we all pitched in over the coming weeks and we, we, we man, we got a big chunk of money. And we said, we're gonna put them on the best marriage retreat any, you, can, you can buy out there. We put them on a weekend marriage retreat to do a vision retreat and receive counseling and all that stuff. We didn't call the church, hey, can you guys got a missions budget we can take? No, 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 we are the church. We began to reach in and say, we're gonna share his burden. We invested, man, and we sent them on this marriage retreat. Can, can I tell you, it's been a year now. They're, they're still married. Their marriage is flourishing. Their family is flourishing. Why? Because truth, community, and the Holy Spirit all working together. The process, you gotta submit to the process. I'll finish with this. Tim Keller says, the gospel is this. Someone needs to hear this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we can ever dare believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 
Some of you may be here today and you feel so filled with shame or guilt or condemnation because of this thing you've struggled with. Listen to me. God loves you. Jesus loves you today. God is not mad at you. He's your father. He wants to help you. He wants to love you. He wants to empower you. He wants to see you live the life you always dreamed of. God loves you today, amen? Can I pray for you? Father, we love you. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for, man, we read so many scriptures today that are so rich, reminding us that you want freedom for us. You didn't send your son Jesus just to die on the cross for us to be saved, but in bondage. You sent your son so that he could set the captives free. Today, Lord, will you just start the process in our hearts of freedom? It's a journey. We all need freedom in some area. May we embrace the truth of your word. May we step into life-giving community and have truth tellers that love us and care for us around us. If we need a counselor, let us get a counselor, maybe to help us sort through our family of origin and lies that we've believed that they can give us tools to, to begin to see differently and understand the complexities of our journey. But God, but God ultimately is the work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. You do it not by changing what we're doing, but by changing what we're desiring. Change our desires, Holy Spirit. Those that have been bound to addiction, cycles of brokenness, Holy Spirit, give them new desires. By your Spirit, give them new desires to desire your word and your presence. Truth, God, give them, give them your desires. Today, we love you and we honor you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who purchased our freedom. If you're here today and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus, would you just say the simple prayer? Today, Jesus, I give you my life. I confess that I am a sinner and I need you to save me and to forgive me and to heal me and to free me. Today, I give my life to you, Jesus. And God, I pray for this incredible church. God, I'm thankful for Substance Church. God, may you continue to expand its influence continue to give our pastors more and more vision. And may we truly believe that the best is yet to come. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Campus pastors, you can take it back. Church, I love you so much. I can't wait to see you again.